0: We began the month of November praying for the dead on the Feast of All Souls. And November is traditionally known as the month of those who have died. And as we make it to the end of the month, we start to think about our own death. If you listen to the readings for the month of November, they just keep building upon each other. and Basically, they're building to what we call, as Catholics, the four last things. As we're entering, this is the last Sunday of the church year, so next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, new church year begins. So the four last things that we meditate as we approach the end of the church year is death, judgment, heaven, hell. I found it kind of funny a couple weeks ago, I was talking with this guy who's claimed to be an atheist, but he asked me if I believed in hell. Which, I mean, I'm kind of biased, I suppose, But I I said, it doesn't matter if I believe in hell or not. What matters is, is if hell exists. I said, I can believe all I want that the Minnesota Vikings are a good team this year. But they're not. The reality is they're not. And so Jesus makes it abundantly clear today that there is a hell. But it wasn't meant for us. If you listen very carefully, he says... I will say to those on my left, depart from me, you accursed, into the fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for us. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to John that our our names are written in the book of life. The book of life is like the register of heaven. Heaven's register. And all of our names have been written down there. We are predestined for heaven. But we have to choose it. And Jesus is saying today, if you don't choose it, I'm not going to remove your name from the book of life. You're going to remove your own name. I don't know if you see this, but like in the, uh, basically today, Jesus, you know, gives us the cheat sheet for the final exam. He basically tells us what's going to be on the final exam. When I was teaching at St. Mary's, I always did these things called oral exams. It was a 10-minute. I just sat down with the student, and I just, I mean, question after question after question after question. I would just keep asking them questions. It was the easiest thing in the world because I didn't have to correct anything. I love teaching. I hate correcting papers. It was awful. They don't pay teachers enough, for, for the record. But I remember when I said the first question you get to choose you get to come into my office you get a freebie on the first question and every year i would get a handful of students who would come in and they'd be like I'm like what question do you want well i want to name the seven deadly sins okay go ahead and end the seven deadly sins okay so pride wrath gluttony lust um oh i knew this and i'm like how do you screw up a question that i gave you a freebie on I mean, I wonder if the Lord's going to sit down with all of us and say the same thing. I told you what was on the final exam. How did you mess it up? And here's the crazy part. I don't know if you caught this. On his standard, the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25, nowhere in there is avoiding evil. If you listen to it, he doesn't talk about avoiding evil whatsoever. He takes that for granted. God takes that for granted. What he's interested in What's going to convert our hearts is not just avoiding evil, it's doing good. If you listen to his standard, that's what it's all about. It's all about not how much you avoid, it's about how much you do for the sake of the kingdom. Today we celebrate the feast of Christ the King. And why is this God's standard? It's because he knows when we truly live the Christian life, when we enter into that deeply into that life of love and self-sacrifice, everything changes. not only our lives, but those around us. And his kingdom will be established. I don't know if you know of uh, St. Catherine Drexel. If you ever heard the story of her, very interesting story. she was a very wealthy, affluent young woman. Um, she was a good Catholic. She supported the missions, she loved working for the poor, and she had heard about in America the poverty of the Native Americans. And the struggle of the missions that were going on in in the Americas. And so she had a private meeting with Pope Leo XIII. And she said, Your Holiness, we've got to do something about the missions in America. They're destitute. There's sickness. There's poverty. There's hunger. Send your missionaries. And the Pope very wisely looked back at her and said, Why don't you go? Why don't you go? You know the crazy part of the story? She did. She did go. She left everything. She started a religious order in America. And she, she worked in the missions. When those words were addressed to young Catherine, the high ideals, it changed her life. Something I find troubling in the modern day and age, I don't know if you see this, but especially with young people, they have no desire to help out. They have no desire to step up to be a part of something that's charitable. We live in a very individualistic society where every man is his own island. Getting volunteers from the younger generation is like pulling teeth. Look back 50 years, those of you that remember. Think how many organizations were in the church. And how full they all were. Because the church was community oriented. Now it's divided. Now it's individualistic. How many young people in our parishes and schools have the same ideals, the same incredible generosity and love for Christ and His church that Catherine had? Do we challenge them? One of the things that drove me nuts as vocation director is I would sit down with a young man and he would say to me, he'd say, you know, Father, I'm thinking about being a priest. I'm like, great. He said, there's just one problem. I'm like, what's that? My parents think I'm wasting my life. My parents think I'm wasting my life. You wanna talk about crushing high ideals? That's how you do it. Our young people aren't pushed anymore. You set a bar for them, they'll reach it. Trust me, I was high school chaplain. If you set it that hard, that high, they'll reach it. If you put it down here, they'll reach that too. Where are we setting the bar? When we go to Guatemala, I'd take numerous pilgrimages down there with high school kids and they would go down there all fired up and like we're going to serve the poor we're going to build them a house it's going to be awesome we're going to give them so much and every time they would come home they received more than they gave because we had finally pulled them out of themselves they were living for something other than themselves and they saw that this world is a lot bigger than themselves I remember when we'd come home One one year we came home, this kid, he had wanted this mountain bike, like all of high school. And he got back from Guatemala, and his dad was at the airport with the bike as his senior graduation present. And he came out and he said, Dad, I don't want it. After what I've seen, I couldn't possibly accept that. And then you know what else I see? is Within two, three months, they're back into the culture. That's how dangerous this culture is. You can, throw, you can show them people dying. Orphanages that have no kids or, or no, no families. Kids that are dying because they have no love. And in two to three months, they're back at it. Our society makes life about us, it's not about us, it's about him. His kingdom, and whether you like it or not, the way he establishes it is through us. You remember in the acts of the apostles, the ascension, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, and the apostles are like, Yes, like rose from the dead, power, let's rock and roll. And they say to him, Jesus, Lord, is are you going to establish the kingdom of heaven right now? Lord, Kurios, King, and he says, Don't worry about it. The establishment of the kingdom, and you have nobody knows the day or the time. You, you get to work. And I'm going to give you power. So you can carry my message to the ends of Jerusalem and Judea all the way to the end of the world. Power. The word that's used in Greek is "dynamis." We get an English word from that Greek word. Anybody know it? Deacon don't say anything. Dynamis Diana. Come on. It's spelled D Y N A M I. Finish it. No, dynamite. I give you exploding power. How many of you feel like you have dynamite in your life, in the workplace, in your house, out in the world? Or do you feel more like you have a black cat firecracker? Or maybe a snap. You remember those? He's throwing snaps at people. We're meant to have power. And the way that we have power is we unleash God's love into this world through the good that we do. That's how the kingdom's established. I said this at the four o'clock, and after the four o'clock, somebody said, Father, I get it. I get what you're talking about. How do I do it? This is an older person. How do I do it at my age? What do I do? So you know what? I'm going to give you a list. These are just stuff that came to me in prayer. Here we go. You can go to Spirit of Life. You can work at the soup kitchen. You can start a Bible study in our parish. You can go to our men's group that happens once a month. You can take an hour of adoration Tuesday or Thursday. You can go volunteer down to at the Mission at Fort Yates. Monsignor Guion needs all the help he can get. He can pray the rosary every day for our school, for our parish, for your family. You can get money to help fix the variety of problems we have in the school. Use the skill sets that you have to fix something on our property that we need done. You can get a stack of Burger King gift cards out of the script account. And every time you pull off those ramps, you see people standing with a sign that says homeless. You stand and give them a Burger King gift card. That's feeding the hungry. You can help teach faith formation. God knows we need more of those. Join the Knights of Columbus. Donate more to your parish. Have more resources so that we can help more people in the community. When the restrictions lift, you can go visit nursing homes. You can do communion services. You can take communion to the homebound. There is a ton to do. And so few that are willing to do it. Jesus says, visit the imprisoned. I cannot tell you how imprisoned the nursing homes are right now. You have no, maybe you do, I don't know if you work at them or, I see them, because I'm one of the only ones that's, I'm considered a necessary health worker, I'm allowed in at end of life. You cannot believe the pain that exists in a nursing home. And this isn't new because of COVID, this has always existed. Lock them up, forget about them, I got stuff to do. It is the most lonely place on the planet. I sat with a lady the other day and she said, "Father, I'm not worried about dying from COVID. I'm worried about dying from loneliness." Loneliness. I've watched her slowly, slowly, slowly fade because she has no one. There's no more painful place in the world than a nursing home. So many complete so many people complain about they're unhappy. Because they don't feel loved. That's not the problem. People are unhappy because they don't love. They don't push themselves. They don't get out of themselves. They just think about themselves. Jesus didn't pick the standard we have today just for fun. He picked it because he knew that when we helped others, when we got out of ourselves, that we would change, the world would change, and the kingdom would be established. It's not about avoiding evil. It's about unleashing good. May we live as loyal subjects of Christ the King. So at the end of our lives, after all the good that we've done for this world, we can hear, come you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world.